are you? Uh, my name is Julian. My friends call me Jules, and this is Nick. <laughs> We're uh, two-fifths of the Strokes. Now tell me the other names that are guys in the Strokes, please. There's Fab, there's Albert, and there's Nikolai. But the full names, please, Julian. The full names. I love your full names. Julian Casablancas, Albert Hammond Jr., uh, uh, Nick Valenci. <laughs> that, that does sound pretty funny, actually, to say it like that. Um, Fab Moretti, <laughs> uh, and Nikolai Fritscher. It's Britney, bitch. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere, like such as, and we sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Oh, Charlie! Oh! Our next door neighbors are foreign countries. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank you. Now watch this drive. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us. It's your Remember Shuffle for the bi-weekly drop. Today we are talking about a band that is near and dear to my heart and Jordana's heart and our guest's heart, The Strokes, specifically their first three albums that came out in the early Y2K era. And before we really get going, I would like to introduce our guest. We are joined by a good friend of a friend of mine, Martin. Thank you so much for joining us, Martin. I'm very happy to be here. So Jordana, why do we choose this topic? Why are we doing this today? Well, The Strokes rock. We've covered the Boondock Saints to Gili, a lot of media that we weren't particularly happy to sit through, but The Strokes are incredible. They're so fucking good, and I've only appreciated them more as we prepared for this episode. They were critically recognized then, and they have aged like a fine wine. I think people like them even more. I even see the Zoomers starting to appreciate them. There was a big Strokes dance party here in New York City for the 20th anniversary of Is This It coming out. And yeah, normally we start with, like, oh, what's so what's the angle? Why does How I Met Your Mother mirror the United States foreign policy in the 2000s or like some ridiculous premise? But we just started here with, oh, this band rocks so much and we want to talk about them. So let's get into why we're doing this. In addition to making some of the decade's coolest music, the strokes are really fucking important. They're widely credited with helping birth the indie rock scene, not only in New York, but across the world. And it's a special kind of band that inspires others to join a genre and draws so much interest from labels that they start signing similar bands. So here are some examples. The Yeah Yeah Yeahs said that they got signed because the strokes created such a buzz that recording labels were just being given out to like any band in New York with a shag haircut and Interpol said <laughs> he said that he was working at a yeshiva when he saw the Strokes perform and he just wanted to be as cool and get as many girls as Julian Casablancas and so he started Interpol I don't think he was successful <laughs> no no there's no way and the killers apparently threw out all of their songs except for Mr. Brightside when he heard is this it because he knew that at that point whatever he was doing wasn't up to par it kind of reminds me of if you've ever had the unique misfortune of meeting a really hardcore velvet on underground fan or Lou Reed fan. I don't know if I'm antagonizing you here, Martin. You, you seem like the kind of guy who might be a big Velvet Underground guy. Once upon a time, man. But 
yeah, Lou Reed says no one bought their album, but everyone who did buy their album founded a band. In preparing for this episode, I read a bunch of this book called Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is like an oral history of the scene in the early Y2K era in New York. And I think it's worth stressing how fucking dead New York was for rock music in the 90s, because all the major labels were just farming out the West Coast, whether that's the East Bay punk scene with bands like Green Day and their imitators, or fucking Seattle, useless goddamn Seattle. I will proudly go on the record and say there is one good band that ever came out of that city and it's Nirvana. And everything else you should throw out. Really? Are you going to throw out Pearl Jam? Absolutely. I listened to Jeremy on the way here to really just remind myself why I hate this band so much. And I was like, you know what? It's a good thing they bullied Jeremy so much. <laughs> but yeah, just to wrap up, the Arctic Monkeys, their first line on their album is, I just wanted to be the Strokes. And Ben, you've told me many times how deeply shitty rock music was in the Y2K era. I think so, man. I think the only little light that you have is this indie rock, garage rock revival. I think the other types of rock music that you get in this decade are fucking new metal, end of the 90s, early 2000s. One of the best albums of the decade is Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory. That shitty mix of rap and rock found tremendous commercial success. By the end of the decade, Rolling Stone has named Is This It, the band's first album, as the most important of the decade. And the British equivalent called New Music Express said that Is This It was the greatest album of the decade. The five types of rock in the 2000s are like new metal, post-grunge, emo, pop-punk, and garage rock revival. And those other four types are experimental new types of rock. But what the Strokes do is garage rock revival. They are taking a form of music that was popular in the 60s and bringing it back. So let's take a little trip back to 1964. Okay, so what's going on? The oldest baby boomers are 19 years old. The Beatles have just landed at JFK, sparking Beatlemania in the United States. And in turn, these teenagers are inspired. We know from the data that they start 180,000 bands in the United States between 1964 and 1968. A disgusting number of bands. And they're all too many. And they're all boomers too. Well, they're they're nineteen year old boomers, right? Like the boomers could rock. You know? <laughs> That's it's... when rock and roll was cool, man. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. Back when it meant something. Yeah, getting a soda pop and playing some rock and roll. I got this new song I'm working on. I don't want to give away too much, but uh, it's about hand holding. <laughs> it's called <laughs> hand holding with a fourteen year old girl. <laughs> during this time, like during those four years, um, forty five hundred rock albums are recorded in the United states insane yeah and i think that the revival is wrapped up in nostalgia which is a huge part of why we do this pod we're banking on the 20-year nostalgia cycle for all of our clicks and plays and listens but my hot take is that the 1960s was the last time in all of american history that anyone was happy happy or even a little bit hopeful i think this is part of the appeal that this sound has the association and of course the stupid boomers will put the 60s up on the pedestal well yeah here let's make the transition because we're still in 1964 boys <laughs> So we're in 1964 and you have all these teens making rock bands and given their inexperience in youth, the style of these songs is characterized by basic chord structures played on electric guitars through a fuzz box, as well as unsophisticated and aggressive lyrics and delivery. And as these bands aged into the 70s and 80s, they left garage rock and it became more psychedelic and experimental. But in this early stage, it has this do-it-yourself aesthetic, which is always referenced when people talk about garage rock. We have a great um, section of do-it-yourself. Do you like to do it yourself? Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, if uh, the mood strikes. 
And it's really hard for me to wrap my head around what a musical do-it-yourself aesthetic sounds like. But for me, it's like, compare a song like Louie Louie to a song like Stairway to Heaven. Louie Louie is characterized by simple chords, sloppy sound. It's fun. It's upbeat. It's about nothing. Whereas... Dude, it's about the French Revolution. It's about the fucking monarchy. It's about how they offed Louie. Oh, damn. Shoot. Maybe it's not garage rock then. Maybe, Maybe it's prog rock. Whereas Stairway to Heaven... It's got insanely complex production, different instruments. I think there's a flautist section in that song, a very high concept lyrics. It's very contemplative and experimental. Yeah, I mean, Led Zeppelin puts out music that literally they could not play live. In their cover of When the Levee Breaks, which rocks, they put a drum kit at the bottom of an elevator shaft to get the echoes just right. Absolute gearhead sound (laughs) dorks. No one's doing that in their garage. (laughs) No. We're still 18-year-olds in the garage here. So now let's move forward into 1999. What's going on in 1999? Well, the oldest millennials, the second largest generation in history, millennials are the children of baby boomers. And after a dip in generation size with Gen X, once again, there's a large boom in the youth population. So you have this huge group of teenagers, and they are starting to play unsophisticated, fun, upbeat rock. And all they need is a band like the Beatles to inspire them. And I think that the Strokes are that band. Even their name is a callback to the type of garage bands from the 60s that you would see. The Strokes, the Beatles, the Kinks, the Who. They all have 60s-style shag haircuts. Yeah. Wish I could grow my hair like that. (laughs) Seems pretty cool. And yeah, I would just push back a little bit on the fun, upbeat angle because... I think that Julian Casablanca's lyrics frequently have this total ambivalence to them. I love 1251, which we'll play at some point, where he says, we can go to get 40s, fuck going to some party. All right, let's go. You convince me. He doesn't care about his own song. He is too cool for his own band. He's too cool to move on stage. Yes. On YouTube, there's a video of the Strokes way before, like when they're just starting to get a following. And Julian, he looks like he's enjoying the music. And all of the comments on the YouTube video are like, oh my God, Julian, before he knew to act like he was comatose, before he was <laughs> acting like a narcoleptic frontman. Totally zanned out. It's still millennial music, I guess. So it will be a bit more zanned out and apathetic and sad. Yeah. And I think what's fun about the Strokes is that they capture the kind of aimlessness associated with millennials. Even the first album is called Is This It? But very ambiguously, it doesn't have a question mark. So it could be a question or a statement, however you want to read it. Is this it? Is this all there is or whatever? But it doesn't have the weepiness of the millennial generation because all of them are spectacularly wealthy. Yeah. (laughs) As we'll get into as we talk about the actual members a bit more, like they are just the children of some of the most spectacularly evil people on earth. So they don't need to worry about downward mobility. I think that's a good point. I'm going to play a couple of clips here of the original garage rock. And it sounds a lot like the strokes, but you're right that it is different in that it's way more apathetic. Yeah, that was Have Love, Will Travel. By the Sonics. Yeah. A song that the Black Keys actually covered, and they made it slower. <laughs> they made it lower energy. And I've already mentioned Louie Louie, but I'll play a clip here. Yeah, 
Yeah, they do sound like they're having more fun than the Strokes. Absolutely unintelligible lyrics. So. Yeah, that's true. That's very that's similar. So let's put up a th- few theories now for why we think that Garage Rock had this revival in the year 2000-2001. People love to blame 9-11. Of course. <laughs> well, I don't want to blame it all on 9-11, but certainly didn't help. Do you guys buy this? After 9-11, we needed easy, fun to listen to art that didn't make us think too much. I think there's 40% truth to that. Yeah. I think Taking a really I, hard stance on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to be the classically uncool moderate. I think that <laughs> to an extent, for me in high school, I was born in 90. I started high school in 2004, and I could only handle so much political shit. It was all over the place all the time. And and, and then you've got the strokes there and you're like, well, I would love to get a 40. I can maybe do something about that. <laughs> so that's nice. And then also, I think that you always have to have reactionary music. So if you've got people stuffing cucumbers down their leotards in the 80s, next thing you're going to get is Kurt Cobain. And what's cooler than Nirvana? Guys who shower. So, <laughs> the strokes. Yeah. Okay, no, I buy that because the way that you were feeling in high school, I think, is a reflection of how everybody was feeling. So they say that's why all of our art was so apolitical. We've done a lot of things on this podcast. And the only thing that's vaguely political is American Idiot. And even that is pretty vague. So, yeah. And that stands out as being like the one protest album of the entire decade. That doesn't name drop anyone. That right. Yeah. I want to write a protest album, but I don't want to make anyone mad. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're Can right. I also say, too, that you listen to pop punk and then you... You're like, I cannot keep, I'm 14. I got to be a cool guy. You know, you're like, I'm 14. It's yeah. time to grow up. <laughs> so you got to set aside that. And then you go, for me, like you go to the actual punk and it's, oh, this is just, it's like someone's mad at Fox News. <laughs> I'm not, I gotta tap out of this genre. Yeah, and I think what the Strokes do so brilliantly is they capture some of the punk aesthetic. They're literally based out of the East Village like the fucking Ramones, but without, yeah, what you talk about, the aggressive fucking political militancy associated with punk music. I can only listen to so much Henry Rollins. It's very, very (laughs) small amounts at a time. Do you think it's fair to say that maybe one of the things that set the circumstances just right for the Strokes and all of those maybe in the bathroom bands was maybe 9-11 in the sense that all of America was like, we are New York. Yes. And so now you've got this camera pan away from LA. Mm. What do they have to say? What are these like billionaires kids? Definitely helps for sure for their image. They're born and raised New Yorkers. Except for the time they spent in Switzerland. (laughs) Except for the one guy, yeah, who's from a European country that poor people are not allowed to know about. Borgia, but that makes sense. We've talked about it on the pod before how it's very funny. This is the one time in American history that America liked New York or mm-hmm. felt any kind of sympathy for it. And so maybe that was part of it for sure as well. My personal theory is that, like I said, there's there's five types of rock and roll in, in the 2000s. There's really four if you count pop and emo as the same thing. Although it's hard to because like I said, Blink-182 and Brand New are two very different bands. But you can only put Garage Rock in a car commercial. You can't put new metal in a car commercial. You can't put emo music in a car commercial. Counterpoint. It's Limp Biscuits break stuff. It's an SUV commercial. And it's just mowing toddlers down. <laughs> Set to Limp Biscuit. I think sales would skyrocket. Let's get Subaru on the phone. <laughs> I don't think they make large enough vehicles. I don't think they make the true toddler flatteners. And 
you're like a boomer who writes for the Rolling Stones or writes for the New York Times. Fucking no, like Spin. Spin. Yeah. Do you remember Spin? Mm-hmm. You're and yeah, AP. you're some guy you who shit? you got pussy in the '60s and now your life's boring, <laughs> but you still write about music. Once. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I got pussy at Woodstock one I'm time. Trying, you're 26. <laughs> And now you're writing about music and it's like, okay, I need to cover like, what the youth are into. And so it, you go to a new metal show and you're like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. Then you go to Blink-182 and you're like, this is And then you go to emo and you're like, what the hell is going on? Stop crying, get a haircut and a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you go to a stroke show and you're like, now this, this is rock and roll as I remember it. This is music. Yeah. I'm going to write a great review about this. And you know what? They're right. <laughs> yeah. The genres you just listed, they're not fun. No. They're not fun, you know? And I like something from all of those, but no one's getting laid to any of those other genres. There's one more I didn't name, post-grunge. Also not a getting laid to music. No, not that's like third tour in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> You can't have sex to post-grunge. You're certainly not getting laid to some 41 or My Chemical Romance. Yeah, if you yeah. if you took a lady home and you... <laughs> like, let me put on a little music. <laughs> you put on some post-grunge. You put one of those bands, where the singers act is. <laughs> yeah. That woman would think you're planning I a mass shoot. just cocaine. Let's, <laughs> let's go have like a fun party night. Let's go do some cocaine. And it's like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had an ex-girlfriend who had made a nickel pact with her friends. And basically, they all put in $25. And the first person to have sex to nickel back would win the pot, essentially. <laughs> and so she approached me and she's like, there's $150 on the table. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. We can have sex to nickel back. But then every time we went to go do it and she'd be like, oh, can we put on nickel back? I'm like, next time. We'll just do it next time. <laughs> I'm just like really not in the mood today. And I just kept pushing it so much that we broke up before we were ever able to even collect on it. But if she made like a strokes pact, oh, it's over from day one. You got to come back on for the Nickelback episode. How you remind me. Never made it as a blind man. Yeah, that's the one. Couldn't make it yeah. as a blind man. Yeah, this is... <laughs> Those aren't the lyrics. <laughs> the think piece here is the ablest music of Nickelback is destroying Ooh. America. Yeah. It's funny that we're ragging on think pieces that we're literally recording the podcast <laughs> it's, yeah, the it's podcast a listen piece like if, if think pieces sniffed glue you know that's the <laughs> podcast yeah, okay. this just side note about Nickelback. They are a product of trying to defend culture, of like reject modernity, embrace tradition. Canada wants to support Canadian artists, so they have literal laws that are called Canadian content laws. So networks need to show a certain amount of Canadian content. And it's a double-edged sword, because on the one hand, I think this did give us Trailer Park Boys, a seminal piece of Y2K culture that we'll almost surely do an episode on at one point. But it also gave us Nickelback. That yeah, it also lost. gave us Arcade Fire. And tampon rock. Tampon rock? Yeah, like the Tegan and Sarah always mm, genre. Right, right. I'm, I'm told this is called tampon rock. I read it in a pitchfork. <laughs> something. Well, if that's tampon rock, then Nickelback is Viagra rock. <laughs> <laughs> should we move on to talking about the show yeah we should <laughs> i think we covered why it's popular it's yeah. 9-11 a brief window where people love and respected new york even though the yankees lost the world series in 2001 to fucking arizona so funny that arizona beat them in the world series yeah. in the, in the, in the like a month after 9-11 <laughs> it is like taking a child's basketball and just stabbing it with a knife <laughs> you know it would be patronizing to go easy on you 
<laughs> I respect you too much to give you this easy win. And the nostalgia. This almost makes me think, to overuse a leftist internet word, that the strokes are a psyop. Mm-hmm. Given when we were doing research, seeing all of, yeah, the boomery type of people or Gen X-y type of people, just the ubiquitous fucking praise that this band got from every corner of the media. And then factor in the fact that Julian Casablanca's dad knew Jeffrey Epstein. And I'm like, well, yeah. maybe there's an angle here. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein's like, this is music you can fuck to. <laughs> <laughs> He's just playing one particular song from their first album yeah. over and over again. It's called Barely Something. <laughs> I can't remember the full name. All right, so let's get into the history of the band. As we said, they're from New York. Lead singer-songwriter Julian Casablancas, guitarist Nick Valenci, and drummer Fabrizio Moretti started playing together as teenagers while attending the Dwight School in Manhattan and formed an informal band in 1997. Just a side note, the Dwight School is a private school beside Central Park on the Upper West Side. Tuition is $56,000 per year. And they add Nikolai Frature to the band to play bass. Julian knows him from a different Manhattan private school, this time the Lycée Français de New York, which is on the Upper East Side, and tuition is only $43,000 a year. Fuck these guys. (laughs) (laughs) They then add Albert Hammond Jr., who knows Julian from a private school in Switzerland, which is called the School of Kings. Tuition there, a scant $133,000 per annum. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, School of Kings. There's probably some captains of industry there. No, that sounds like a school Kanye would make. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up people who went to school at the same time of him. It's literally the Princess of Egypt and Morocco, King Albert of Belgium, who was the King of Belgium throughout the 2000s, went there. The Royal Family of Belgium, they never did anything weird, right? No, no, they're totally unproblematic. They don't have any ghosts that need exercising. The current crown princess of Greece went there, and most of Queen Elizabeth II's cousins went there, including the Duke of Kent. Nice. Nice. You know when you meet your bandmates at the School of Kings in Switzerland? (laughs) See, I'm just imagining a Hotep-run private school. (laughs) The school of We Were Kings. And Ben and I saw a documentary kind of about the Strokes called Meet Me in the Bathroom, and they skipped over this, and they sort of ridiculed people who pointed out how rich Julian is. There's an incredible Much Music interview with Nardwar where he asks Julian about this, and Julian is deeply embarrassed when people bring up these sorts of things about his past. But people don't normally talk about this, but I feel like it's hard not to talk about because you clearly want to hate them so much because they're so privileged. But they wrote so many bangers. And if you're in the audience right now, and you also went to the École Lycée du Français de New York and, and paid $2 million for tuition for kindergarten through grade 12. If you want to survive the revolution, here's how you do it. You put out 20 bangers. That's the only way to live. If you wrote last night, you will be free to go. You will be allowed to avoid death by exile in Bain's court. Can I add to that? You play New York City cops at a Bernie rally. Yes. Mm-hmm. You are in the clear. You're fine. You will not be forced to walk across the ice after attending a kangaroo court in the Occupy Square. It is kind of funny because I I feel like we all subconsciously know that Hollywood, the film industry, is just defined by nepotism. Any Hollywood star, you look into who their parents were and it's like, oh, they were in the golden age of Hollywood and their kid changed their name. I hate Will Smith's kids more than it's healthy to hate. It's like Will Smith's (laughs) kids and Jimmy Fallon. Mm. I hate those. They're my Osama Bin Laden most wanted person in the world. (laughs) And it's like, okay, if Willow just put out one cool song, you would stop hating this child. I would stop being so unnecessary hateful 
But yeah, he may be this child of tremendous fucking wealth and privilege, but man, he hated cops before we all hated cops. That's a good point, yeah. He wrote a song called New York City Cops that will play the hook of. This was their closer as they were coming up in the late 90s and early 2000s, and it got tore off the record after 9-11 because everyone was huffing that copaganda. And now, starting in 2021, after all of the global BLM protests of 2020, they've made it their closer again. And he'll insert the line, cops all around the world aren't that smart, which, again, it's a very, very tepid ACAB stance. New York City cops, they're not that smart. Not like New York City cops. They do racialize terrorism or something right. of that nature. Yeah, it's certainly a step down from NWA's stance, I suppose. <laughs> There's some resignation there. You're in the fucking subway, you're watching the cops ticket homeless people or whatever, and you're like, man, these guys aren't too smart. <laughs> you're not even saying they aren't smart. You're saying they're not too smart. <laughs> we call that Lytotes in the world of classics. All right, so let's get into each of the band members. Okay, so we st- we've talked a lot about Julian Casablancas. He's kind of the most important member of the band in that he composes all of the music and he's the singer. Think of your absolute legendary frontman of rock and roll history. Think about Mick Jagger strutting around the stage and, and pursing his lips. Think about David <laughs> Bowie, all of the David Bowies, changing his personality, becoming Ziggy Stardust, doing all of his makeup and costumes and really embracing the pageantry. Now, what if you had the opposite of that? What if you had a guy who was shy as your frontman, mm-hmm. who didn't give a shit about being in his own band? who stood with his feet firmly planted, holding the mic with both of his hands and a lit cigarette between his fingers, and just kind of mumbled. Yeah, his eyelids never opened past about halfway through his pupils. I always you know, describe him as being Kurt Cobain on Clonopin or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another thing, though, really quickly, yeah, shy, but not in that soy boy virginal way mm-hmm. that a lot of the other bands that tried to come out with them were. Mm-hmm. Like, Brandon Flowers was trying so hard to be, like, too scared to do an interview mm. you know yeah and julian he's he's shy in this he doesn't care way apathetically shy yes yeah that's a good way of putting it and of course his dad is the president of elite model management which but according to wikipedia this agency invented the concept of the supermodel now i don't know what differentiates a super from a regular model but julian casablanca's dad made that happen yeah and thankfully julian is not the biggest fan of his dad his parents divorced when he was eight his dad left his mom to get together with a 15 year old who was a model at elite model management and he has said that he mostly credits his stepfather who's a artist from ghana with guiding him as an artist has said that his stepfather is the one who sent him his first musical influences taught him how not to do lazy arts and how to do it properly and he speaks very fondly of his stepdad and almost not at all about his biological dad but yeah there is a very funny photograph of john casablancas donald trump and Jeffrey Epstein having a fun hangout with a bunch of children that they're putting their hands on their shoulders. <laughs> Barely Legal was the protest song. He was trying to say to everyone what was going on. I actually have heard that Barely Legal is about his dad, is a song about his father. 15 right. is not Barely, <laughs> for the record. <laughs> Fuck. You gotta be so clawed out that you can't <laughs> use your fingers to count. <laughs> 
one thing that is really kind of definitive of the Strokes' sound is that Julian Casablancas is this insane perfectionist. In contrast to his apathetic shyness, on the music angle, there's a story where as they're recording their second album, Room on Fire, this is a quote I got from Meet Me from the Bathroom, they're tinkering with the drums. And so someone writes, recording the drums, Julian said, I really like your drum sound, but can we work on the hi-hat? Julian told me that Nigel said, Julian, a hi-hat's a hi-hat. Now, I know from working with Julian that for him, a hi-hat is like working with a seller of exotic wines from all over the world. Do you want that one or maybe that one? Smell the bouquet. A hi-hat for him was worthy of days of tweaking. So one of the aspects of the sound of the strokes is he cares so much about each and every instrument and he really tweaks and tinkers and whatnot, but he doesn't give a shit about the microphones. That lo-fi aspect of it is Mm. the product of insane gearhead tinkering with the instruments and then just cutting the number of mics in the studio to a crazy extent. Mm. Badass. Yeah, it certainly gave it an aesthetic. It's funny that you have to work that hard to do a do-it-yourself aesthetic. (laughs) But I'm just reminded that one time was going out with a woman last year and she was very beautiful. She was like a model and she was bragging about how she was family friends with the Casablancas family. Wow. And at first I was like, oh, that must mean she knows Julian and his dad and everything. Now it's just occurring to me that she probably just knew his dad. She's, this is a cry for help. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't pretentious name dropping. It was like, I know the Casablancas is (laughs) call the authorities. (laughs) Yeah, he's a perfectionist. There's lots of footage of him in the studio and it's very fun to watch him because he's very frustrated. One more note about Julian Casablancas and the Strokes as a whole is that they're cool in a very New York way. I've noticed since I moved here and whenever I meet people who grew up in New York, and the way that they're very cool is that they're very uninterested, but not in a mean way. They're not doing it on purpose like you're beneath me. It almost just seems like they require so much stimulation to be paying attention that if you do say something that excites them, they're immediately very energetic and lively. But if you're giving them normal, you know, decent quality material they're just glazed over i want to reiterate it's not like they're being mean about it it's just that they require so much more stimulation than normal in order to take it in at all and so the strokes have that sort of new york coolness to them yeah the interviews with nardwar are painful for any american who's listening nardwar is this awful canadian interviewer with an incredibly high voice and he runs these almost fucking sasha baron cohen style interviews but his thing is just aggressive saccharine niceness that's actually passive aggressive. So he makes the strokes say their full names. Because he knows it's like a fucking punchline with all these (laughs) international cosmopolitan ass motherfuckers. Sounds like fucking Paris in the 1920s. Everyone has their dumb Ernest Hemingway names. He just fucking alpha doms them with niceness and passive aggressive into saying all of their names and it's just fucking painful to watch because he knows exactly what embarrasses them. He knows that they feel not legitimate. The only time you see Julian really get uncomfortable in that interview is, yeah, when they bring up their names and their upbringing and what schools they went to. It's a very powerful thing, by the way. When you do have a Canadian who's confrontational, it's extremely powerful. You end up with (laughs) a Norm MacDonald type person because they're confrontational, but it's difficult to be fully mad at them because they are being sort of polite about it. Some of the other band members, Albert Hammond Jr., who's the rhythm guitarist, is the son of the Mamas and Papas singer. Like the Hollywood people that we were talking about. Children of royalty. We got a couple more notes here on uh, Fabrizio Moretti. It's anti-Italian discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 
This, I think, is the funniest approach to the privilege that they're also embarrassed about. So Fabrizio Moretti is asked about how they all met in prep school. He says, it was always pretending to be a good school. It's just a bunch of rich people. You know what? It prepared all of us for what the truth is. Everybody is just faking it. This guy rebranded his private school into a school of hard knocks thing. This Holden Caulfield ass motherfucker is like the private school taught me that actually everyone's a phony. You know, look, I don't want to I don't want to trade my DSA card here, but there <laughs> is something commendable about I'll put it this way. My undergrad, I had to go to Brigham Young University. I wasn't really Mormon, but my parents were. And so that's where I am. And you can have a reaction where you embrace the thing or you can have the reaction where you just find it extremely nauseating mm -hmm. and you want to get as far out of it as possible. And for me, by the way, that was just listening to like 1251, you know, and trying to live that life. <laughs> but at least they were in there being like, this is disgusting. You know, look, I don't believe in original sin. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to hold this Epstein Island motherfucking Casablanca's family. It pisses you off to hear it. But then because they're so good, you're like, oh, you didn't like it. All right, all's forgiven. Yeah, it's true. It, it definitely is a lot better than being like, you know, it made me who I am, you know? I, I <laughs> right, right. Being like, yeah, no, all these people suck. The world is fake. Everything is bought for these people. I'm going to ask them instead of buying me the crown of Monaco to get me like a Vox amp. Hell yeah. But yeah, I mean, while we were recording this, we kept calling them the Gossip Girl School Band because yeah. that's basically where they're from is yeah. the Gossip Girl School. And what's hilarious is that the Gossip Girl soundtrack, the strokes appear in like six different episodes, including a cameo appearance by Albert Hammond Jr. <laughs> Like, you think they would at least be like, no, we're not allowing the Gossip Girl show to use our music, considering that, they, like, this is where we went to high school. I have one, and we can cut this, but I like seeing Dr. Tobias Funke. This is a story about them making out, and there's just one thing that I want to read. They're hanging out with the Strokes. The Strokes are a fan of Mr. Show, and so they go and they smoke weed in Tompkins Square Park. And they're having a good time, and David Cross writes, fucking Julian knocked in a couple homers. The other thing about those guys is there was a lot of making out, not in a sexual way, but in a making out way. Alex Hammond Jr. I always found it funny to kiss men. David Cross. I remember being in that bar upstairs at Irving Plaza and Julian kissed me. And I'm going, whoa, what the fuck? But also having this crazy rush of emotion because I know he's not gay. And I'm thinking, oh, that was fucked up. That was weird. But I guess it wasn't really unpleasant. That's nothing I'd ever do again, I don't think. Huh, that was interesting. It was my Bowie Mick Jagger moment. Alex Hammond Jr. I like how weird people get. I revel in their weirded outness. David Cross. He's a good kisser. Fully shaved, soft, supple skin. I think he has access to really nice creams and lotions. I just want to put that i just want to put that on the pot interesting well i can't wait to think about that later before i go to sleep <laughs> yeah. david cross and julian casablanca's kissing he does always get a close shave and i don't know how maybe he had like laser removal of his beard <laughs> ace lasik nice yeah you're right i've never seen him bearded up he's always got the hungover thing but he never seems to have scruff okay so yeah those are those are all of our our, our bandmates so i'll put one note in here about the new york city garage rock scene in 2000 the scene is any subculture that all starts wearing the same pants correct and the pants of this scene were skinny jeans is that right yeah julian casablanca started buying his jeans at the gap he wore women's jeans at the gap because literally they weren't making men's jeans tight enough for him i feel like women's legs are bigger maybe it's just my legs <laughs> i have famously yeah chicken the legs, legs of the legs of a bird so i was in it for the the skinny jeans era but now you're a big loser if you wear them so i'm gonna have to start wearing jenko jeans also fucking harry styles wants a fucking medal for wearing a dress, man. Uh, he famously wants <laughs> he wants a medal. Harry Styles is a closeted heterosexual <laughs> who has spent the last four years putting on a dress and wondering why he doesn't become the new Cher or Lady Gaga of queer culture. And it's like, because no one believes
believes you. Yeah. You know, you're clearly just trying to bait this kind of specific cult. You, I think sometimes, and this is another reason why I think the strokes just permeated all of that bullshit. People can spot a faker from a million miles away. Like mm-hmm. the fan base of pop music is very good at discerning who is a fraud yeah. to the point where people who aren't frauds get raked over the coals for years before they've earned their stripes. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look at the white stripes. I would call them firmly not frauds. Huge ass music dorks. They're the last white people in the neighborhood of Detroit where they're from. Yeah. Like, I lived there. Yeah. The, I was the one who was like, I think I'd go back. Jack White was. His ex-wife, Megan. His ex-wife's sister, bandmate. Yeah, his yeah. ex-wife's sister is from Gross Point, which is a very wealthy neighborhood. But he's from Detroit. He's He, he is Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. <laughs> Yeah, I know we spent the last hour saying that the Strokes invented garage rock revival, but you can make the case as well that the White Stripes did, but the Strokes certainly popularized it. So let's move down to some album reviews. Everybody loves album reviews. Yeah, we ignored what the Strokes said in that Nardwar interview for how they would like people to talk about them. Because Nardwar is just doing exactly what we did, asking them about their upbringing and their history and whatever. But Julian Casablancas is like, you know, what's it even fucking matter where we're from? Like, we're not even talking about the music. Why can't interview us about the music man so after an hour of recording we are actually going to talk about the music finally Mm -hmm. and julian kept saying please just ignore how much money our families have and where we're from and what we look like please just listen to the music he's like that's what's important that's what should be important i can see why he's saying that because the music fucking rocks this first album do we all agree is it their best album yeah it's it's perfect end to end i don't skip a track i i don't even mean for this to be a hot take i prefer room on fire Ooh, interesting but i think is this it is a perfect album yeah it, it, it was listening to is this it in my car in an underground t- you know what it's like in detroit where they've got all these like freeways that start to move underground mm-hmm. sitting there in traffic waiting to get to my parking garage for this job i have and is this it comes on and i was like oh fuck you know like and i was like i'm quitting this job hell so, yeah man it continues to hit hard i'll just start by saying that the album art for the first album is a diagram it's like a scientific replication of the big bang that's happening in a subatomic particle bubble chamber and this is the perfect album art given that this album is the big bang for garage rock revival note that in europe the album art is a sexy picture of a woman's butt but this is one example of american puritanism actually leading to a better outcome yeah but the international version has new york city cops on so mm, okay i believe julian refutes that narrative too and who knows what is true but he's like no 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 they didn't make us change the cover mm. i saw the picture and was like that's so cool i don't really believe that but yeah why wouldn't you just have it changed in Europe. It's a picture of the photographer's girlfriend too. It seems like a weird suggestion to be like, we need it. We're getting, we're hiring a photographer to get an album art made. And he's like, I, I have a picture of my girlfriend's butt <laughs> that you can use. I believe he is a French guy. I'm not just doing that based on those details. <laughs> also, I don't need to see a woman's butt on an album cover. I can get that by Googling womansbutt.com. <laughs> <laughs> you can use something symbolic like the Big Bang replica. Yeah, I just look at my cat's ass. <laughs> yeah, I just think about Julian Casablancas and David Cross making out if I want to be horny. I don't need to look <laughs> at an album cover. So anyway, yeah, let's play a couple clips here. Let's let's get the party started. Scooter, can you cue up a clip of the title track?
right, can we stop the show and just listen to the whole record? Because I'm, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, and I'm like, all right, I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> it is a tight 35 minutes, so it's 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 so good. It goes hard. It doesn't stop. That's the title track. That's probably the slowest, but also most driving song on the album, I think. And in an instance of Julian Casablanca's style editing, I ripped that from YouTube. I did the lowest possible quality to make it even lower fi on our <laughs> recording. But yeah, you hear that sort of apathetic angst. It almost has a uh, whatever, never mind feel to it. Even the way he doesn't syncopate his vocal delivery. It's just, can't you see I'm trying? He can't even be bothered to really move around. Mm-hmm. And he'll do that in all the other songs. Like he'll have this like coked up aggression, but it's so lazy in like almost every sense in the yeah. coolest way possible. I've heard that a lot of stroke songs, by the way, use the two, five, one, four chord progression. Do you know what that means? Does, <laughs> does anyone know what that means? Yeah. So these are chord changes relative to the root note of the key you're in. You can move from like key of A to key of D and two, five, one, four will mean the same thing. So it's, it's like chord changes relative to the other chords. Yeah, this, this lo-fi sound, like I said, they cut the number of microphones in the studio, which is so funny given how much he obsesses with an individual symbol on a drum kit. But this album that the Rolling Stone called the best of the decade, when they played it for like a major A&R guy, A&R people are fucking scum. It's an artist and repertoire. They're the people who go and need to sign bands. And it's this delicate dance, depending on the power dynamic. They need to seem cool, but not too cool. They need to seem like corporate enough to be competent, but not too corporate. Like they're just feeding frenzy leeches on artists. But this one major A&R guy listened to Is This It and he said he thought it was the most unprofessional sounding music he had ever heard. Which like, yeah, man, exactly. <laughs> Let's play the opening to Last Night. This is the major single that is probably the most overplayed song from this album. This is the one that Sum 41 makes fun of in their video for the song Still Waiting, where they dress up like the Strokes and they have their fake band called The Sums. of just playing the whole song there so I gotta turn it off it's so hard just to not the vocals they sound sort of like they're being sung through a cheese grater and into a tin can they're very distorted it's very difficult to know any of the lyrics in a stroke song you end up for me anyway just sort of vaguely warbling through them but it's so he much he loves fun. the vocal filter mm-hmm. I remember when the Arctic Monkeys were first coming out I got really into them just because I was like they're going to be our Beatles mm. like there when their first record came out and American critics were panning them for singing into a vocal filter because it was like too Julian. They were trying way too hard to be Julian. Maybe a hot take. Last night, every time I hear it, I kind of take this back. But when you're asking me to pick favorite songs off of Is This It? Last Night is maybe one of the weakest tracks on the album. It is. Despite it being the most successful, it doesn't hit the same way, I don't think, on yeah. the 100th re-listen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's one of the lesser tracks on the record. And 
that's how you know that you've got a perfect album. What, which one are you guys keeping? Or what's your favorite song off the album? Uh, I think I'm going Someday, man. My ex says I'm lacking in depth. All right, let me play it's a little clip so of that. so cool. Yeah. There, there's something just like so chill. I'm oh, sorry. I like the way they seem to layer instruments one on top of the other quite a bit in their songs. Like yeah. one guitar comes in, another guitar comes in, the drums come in. With Someday, they are anticipating nostalgia at yeah. the beginning of their thing. Mm. And that is an inversion of what, what we typically expect there. And it's one of those songs that really makes you feel like you're in a friendship simulator. Mm -hmm. Put that song on and you're like, I am out with my boys. <laughs> Instantly, that's the feeling I get. Yeah, and even the line well my ex says i'm lacking in depth you can imagine that being a totally biting thing that his ex has said to him in a fight and he just shrugs it off as the hook to his song well my ex says i'm lacking in depth i'll do my best <laughs> also that is the best defense mechanism when you're in a relationship that is falling apart and someone's just coming at you you know and walk hard mm -hmm. where he's just like guilty as charged <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> When someone's coming at you and you're just like, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a walk hard episode at some point. It, yeah, it rock. We can't play clips from all the songs because there's there's at least probably six songs worth playing a clip of on this on this album. Like, is this it? Soma, someday, last night. Hard to explain. Take it or that's, leave it. Yeah, that's maybe my pick. Is this it or hard to explain? Is my number one off off that album. And New York City Cops, which I would never play because it's it's just too soon. <laughs> No, man, I clipped the hook. Play the hook. <laughs> you know what, man? Those guys, they went up into the towers. See, in order for me to listen to that song, I replaced the word smart with racist. In my mind. <laughs> and when I sing it at karaoke, that's how I sing it. New York City cops, they ain't too racist. <laughs> that's the version I like. Yeah, it's, you know what? It's about respect. Yeah. At the end of the day. The simplicity of it. You can count to four on that song, and that is just what the strumming pattern is. Like, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. It's so good. There was a moment there where the world, two roads diverged for the United States, <laughs> and we took the worst path. But it was right before... COVID fucked everything up. Bernie was cleaning house mm. in the primaries and the strokes play the fundraiser and all these kids rushed the stage. Do you remember this? I it's don't. like a Renaissance painting. Bernie Sanders is playing, or he does a rally. Yeah, Bernie Sanders is playing a rally. And then the strokes <laughs> come on and they perform and all these kids are rushing the stage and all the cops that are working the event are trying to pull them off. And you can tell that the strokes were not planning on playing New York City cops. And so they start playing New York City cops. And there's a scene where Julian's like singing to the microphone, not paying attention. And he starts backing up and he just rams into one of the cops and just starts <laughs> chuckling. That's as praxis he says, they right too there. Smart. Uh, New York it City cops, like they aren't too smart. <laughs> what, Is this it? <laughs> I ordered it, the foot long it, it, subway sandwich. I see 11 inches here. 
<laughs> is it this was it? 1917 Russia there for a second. Everything was about to change. And then <laughs> Biden won South Carolina. Barack Obama called all those people and told them to drop out. Yep. Oh, I'd like you to drop out. Please. <laughs> uh, let me be clear. We can't let this guy win. Uh, if you want a politician, that'll do something. Okay. Maybe Bernie Sanders. But uh, if you want things to fundamentally stay the same, go Biden. <sighs> Yeah. Anyway. And a lot of those people didn't even get jobs in the administration. Yeah, I don't want to take it. I don't want to drag away from the strokes <laughs> too hard. But like Amy fucking Klobuchar dropped out and endorsed Joe Biden for nothing. She got nothing. She kneecapped Bernie for nothing. At least Mayor Pete got to be fucking transportation secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minister of Trains. Okay, so let's get back to the strokes. So Room on Fire, their second album. A lot of hype for this second album. The first album is the greatest of the decade. So where do you go from there? It doesn't sell as many copies as the first one. It sells under a million. Expectations were way too high. And people were expecting something like In Utero. But... This is a good album. Yeah, in fact, generally the critical reviews just say it is too similar to Is This It, is what they say. If everyone was hailing the Strokes as the next Beatles or the next Nirvana or whatever, like mm. what did those bands do? They changed their fucking sound and they experimented. But the Strokes said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, largely. It is just Is This It 2.0. I think that might be in a Pitchfork review. Like, it's just... <laughs> yeah. It's certainly fine 20 years later when it's like, oh, I'm going to put on the Strokes. Now I have 20 to 50 excellent songs to choose from and like, Sure, they all sound the same. What the fuck do I care? I want to hear some Strokes music from the catalog. My dumb hot take is that Come Down Machine is maybe my favorite. People on Reddit do you, love to say that. It's where they like, you were talking about how they're like studio nerds. Mm-hmm. And that's the one moment where they just embrace being studio nerds, you mm-hmm. know? There's a great clip from that documentary we watched where they're in the, the studio trying to record Room on Fire. And they're all very frustrated because it's like, how the hell are we going to meet these expectations? This is so difficult and julian is trying to explain passionately which for him yeah is the slack eye no it's not right we gotta do it a little you gotta come in a little later and they cut over to the table that's between all of them and there is a bucket okay heineken bucket full of spent cigarette butts they have smoked 300 cigarettes sitting here trying to get this right and it's a very funny visual to sort of personify how frustrated they are is the hundreds of cigarettes that they've spent that day that's awesome this is not a popular opinion, but smoking is fucking cool. Man. It really is very cool. I, w- I don't like to do it because I think it's gross and it gives me asthma, but it is very fucking cool. Smoking rocks. <laughs> this is a pro-smoking podcast. <laughs> no, think about it. You're at a party. The conversation is dog shit for a bit. You just take a little break. You walk outside. Mm-hmm. Who do you find down there when you go outside for your smoke? You found new friends. There is no yeah. better solidarity than there is among the smoking community. It's so much cooler than just checking your phone when you don't know what to do at a bar exactly yes yeah imagine they're showing footage from harry styles second album and he's frustrated and there's just like a bucket full of jewel (laughs) spent jewel pods (laughs) not nearly as cool no i mean cool now because jewels contraband you know yeah right like where did you smuggle those pods from you clearly gay person (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny walking down the street in new york city and you just get a whiff of like oh is that green apple cotton candy and you turn around (laughs) and some guy just covered in tattoos like a guy who actually looks hard is just Mm. hitting the jewel and it's just candy just fucking candy air around him also very of the moment thing for 
room on fire. Half this album was leaked on the old Napster ahead of time. What is there to say about the internet and music? A lot, actually, in terms of how it changed fucking everything. What a banal goddamn observation. The internet <laughs> changed everything. That, those are the type of takes you can only get here on Remember Shuffle. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't even want to like expand on this. <laughs> But the Strokes were able to say like, it didn't sell so well because it was leaked. But also, these bands who get their shit pirated, they make less and less money because of Napster or whatnot, but they're selling out more and more shows because it's about fucking access. There is like, a, an economics change to the music industry that happens because of Napster. You can sell less albums, you have to perform more, and you have to start selling more stuff like merch or putting your music in a car commercial or a, uh, a movie. <laughs> ben and I found a video it's 51 minutes long of the strokes featured in car commercials and movies and tv shows you start selling no albums because everybody's just pirating it and the streaming services don't exist yet and so yeah you're like yeah fuck it we'll put our music in a tequila commercial yeah spanish tequila commercial <laughs> to to last night okay so let me play a couple clips if you heard about this one folks it's called reptilia Everybody loves Reptilia. That song was also on the Guitar Hero soundtrack, and yeah. it was very fun to, to strum along to. Yeah, on your on your fake pretend instruments. But yeah, everything on that track is fucking perfect. It's like goddamn Baroque counterpoint, the way that the riffs complement the bass line. It's, let's bump 1251. I clipped the good part. <laughs> yeah, probably my favorite song on the album, maybe my favorite Stroke song. as it gets yeah it is i love when they make a guitar sound like a synth yeah that's what i was gonna say that earworm riff mm -hmm. is just throwing a bunch of effects on a guitar to make your guitar sound like a synth which is so much cooler than actually having a synth player in the band can't get that slide mm -hmm. on a keyboard yeah you, you can know. put the soul into it you know if it's not made you know, on the, a dj track or a logic pro the or very first time that i ever was in new york city i went there on a business trip this is the job that i quit because i heard is this it and i was like yeah. and I didn't know anyone in the city and I just was looped 1251. I was like, I'm going to get 40s. Fuck it. <laughs> and I, I'm like alone with a bunch of 40s and I take a Snapchat of myself in the subway and one of my oldest friends from Mormon camp is like, I live on McDougal Street. We haven't seen each other in a decade. And also, boom, disgusting Julian style night out. And I <laughs> owe it all to going to get 40s to the Strokes in New York City. It's a city where dreams are made in. Like, hey, uh, whatever. <laughs> Thank you, know. you, Alicia Keys. <laughs> concrete jungle concrete butthole wet dream tomato i've heard that song yeah, concrete jungle king kong is living here <laughs> so that song has a very soft spot in my heart because it gave me the i could channel the night out energy of that song to actually get the night out you know it's the kind of thing that only happens here in new york new york city baby number one they hate us because they ain't us etc etc are you a killers fan given your mormon upbringing you know i have a photo of me meeting brandon flowers
was when I'm 16 what? with my dad because mm-hmm. we knew someone from church that knew them. But that band is the most smooth brain band. <laughs> Those first two records hit, but like that guy, I don't think he can read. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. That's some illiteracy wordplay right there. Yeah. yeah. Great music video. I'm sure he thought that the muse touched him when he wrote that line. I got soul. I've come up with soul. a good pun. The thing that they just, where they really went wrong was thinking that they could be Bruce Springsteen. Yes, I was about to say that because they do Heartland Rock. And as they've yeah. done more albums, they haven't been able to create the same magic as their first two. And so they've just leaned hard into being Bruce Springsteen. And so yeah, now yeah. every one of their songs is like, there was a small girl in a small town she had a milkshake and a little bike yeah that's every song in her hair (laughs) no but that's exactly the point i was gonna make is that they just because that is an easy way to make music it's way easier to make a song like that than it is to make jenny was a friend of mine that's a good great song great bass line Mm -hmm. but yeah now you can just do you know dust wind camaro songs (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) they are tailor-made for a truck commercial. Yes. Yeah, so this album, like we said... Yeah. yeah, let's move on. Oh, also, this album, 33 minutes. These guys really know how to make a tight-ass record. Yeah. It's a great album. Like Martin said, it's, is this it 2.0? The only criticism you can lobby at Room on Fire is that they didn't evolve enough, which is putting a lot of expectations on the strokes. Artists who iterate and become new and do new and exciting things, they're the exception more than the rule. And, and sometimes it sucks. No Doubt was a dope-ass ska band, and then they started making dance <laughs> dance songs okay so let's move on to their third album yeah 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 so this is actually julian casablanca's favorite album that they did and it is the one that's kind of the least strokesy this i think is his attempt to do in utero or david bowie's heroes or whatever like or fucking rubber soul whatever metaphor you want to go for here because he got so much flack for not evolving enough and he did it while married and sober and he tries to do something different and people did not like it this album it has a 60% on Metacritic. It was not well received. And it really kind of shows how you you can't fucking please anyone. Albert Hammond Jr. said that they got shit for not changing their sound, and then they did, and they got even more shit. And this is the last album they record before they take a five-year hiatus. It is crazy how much this album almost ended their careers. They are no longer indie darlings, like full stop. Mm -hmm. If any Pitchfork review you hear or you read of them, it's like, well, first two records are great, and then they kind of lost it they just can't quite win the good graces of, of critics and it's it's so weird i remember after they like came back and they played the first song off of angles on snl and this was back when pitchfork you could put comments on mm-hmm. and some nerd commented and he's like this performance seals the deal let it be known that the indie community is through with the strokes and i was like go get laid <laughs> yeah that's that's the type of guy who would work for pitchfork for sure yeah just to contextualize here's a clip of yolo that's i mean it's called you only live once that is supposedly so different that it pissed people off and if you'll notice it sounds exactly like the type of music they were making there are some exceptions but listen to this great song Yeah, 
yeah, so that's good stuff. That's another one I'm going to throw in the all-time catalog. And that has had some great covers put to it as well. Yeah, it's, it's vintage strokes. Here's an example, I think, of a, a song that tried to take on a different aesthetic. I'm going to play Hard in a Cage. And to me, this sounds exactly like The Passenger by Iggy Pop. I don't feel Not my favorite song, but it's not bad. A little bit of a departure. Yeah, it is. It's a little more self-serious, and I think that irked some people. I, I think you could have a pretty milk toast take that this is the the low point in their discography, mm-hmm. and I would be like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, sure. I there has that. to be like a the, low point, I suppose. Yeah, the highs are there for sure, but it is maybe the hardest one to just go from start to finish. Yeah, the song Juice Box, man, that is like water torture. For it's me. not good, folks. <laughs> yeah, very repetitive in the worst possible way the strokes they got sober and the music it's not good anymore we're, yeah we're gonna make the strokes drink again folks yeah actually though it, it turns out there is a causal relationship between substance abuse and creativity <laughs> and i think someone should maybe make a movie about that or or a book or create art about that relationship cool so we have covered the strokes first three albums just one more thing about garage rock's place in the decade we've already talked about how it's the only one that can be a critical darling because the new york times sure isn't sure isn't going to be giving new metal an a rating anytime soon and so it got all this attention from music writers and from car commercial people and martin you mentioned earlier that like some 41 you could tell was sort of frustrated with this probably because they made a music video where they were the sums and they played on like a, the stroke style stage that throwback to like an ed sullivan type stage your name some 41 the number band thing is out, okay? Blink-182, Green Day 75. These names are not cool. What's in now is the, okay? The Strokes, the I Can't See You, the Vines, the Hives, the White Stripes. This isn't new. The Led Zeppelins, right? Are you feeling me? Guys, check this out. The Sums. What's in now is the drinking your beer and smoke. You guys smoke? Yeah, you do now. You like that? Smoke them up, Johnny. What's your name? There. Not anymore, it isn't, it's Sven. And these guys were doing a ton of commercials, just selling out all over the place, being in Gossip Girl four different times. <laughs> <laughs> Too many times. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about what happened to Garage Rock. What happened to this type of music? The dream is for sure over. I think shortly after this, MGMT put out Kids, and then Arcade Fire started to blow up, and there was a shift, and all of a sudden it was like, your music should be textural, mm-hmm. or it should be smart and the strokes are just they're not cerebral music i think that that might have played quite a a role in the shift i think that's a good take it evolved the same way as the original garage rock music had to like it has to become experimental it has to become weird and contemplative and involve different sounds that aren't just a guitar and drums i was thinking the last gasp of this i think was only recently snuffed out that portugal the man song was pretty popular i think only six years ago feel it still so yeah it evolved definitely into people like mgmt and but there was also like a softer sounding indie rock that i feel like came out in like the last part of the decade the vampire weekends the death cabs for cuties <laughs> the shins Fleet Foxes, like yeah stuff yeah yeah and i think listen man we could bring it all back to 9-11 if we wanted to but <laughs> okay less flippantly like martin was saying the 90s is this stupid end of history period because that's when the strokes really do get together for the first time is 98 but this idea of the optimism that you felt you can produce your fun garage style 
garage rock revival songs that are not sad and contemplative when you're working at a time of fucking optimism, of good vibes. It's a product of good vibes. And over the course of the Y2K decade, our vibes got progressively more fucked. I think that's wrapped up in where this music went. That decade was bleak as fuck. It was such a downer. The Y2K decade, it really was just so grim. I would love to know if in like 15 years, a bunch of Zoomers are going to be sitting around like, I mean, look, this music's building up to January 6th. After January 6th, (laughs) you know what I mean? I want to know if they have their January 6th band. Jet 6 changed everything. Oh my god. One of the funniest days of my entire life. I, I remember doing no work Amazing. that day just to laugh my ass off at everybody who was <laughs> sitting on Nancy Pelosi's desk with the deer head on or whatever. Putting their feet on the desk. Oh yeah. The worst people on earth, US representatives in Congress, were sharpening fucking things into stakes to defend <laughs> themselves from the hooting rabble horde that was outside. Yeah. The worst people on earth were scared for a day. That sucks. Yeah. When they started going to the Supreme Court, I was like, let's see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so just to close out, we'll talk a little bit about the echoes and the culture. We we love to talk about echoes and the culture on this pod. So how does this sort of thing, how how can we still see it in the way that the culture currently operates? In what ways has its influence been baked in? And, you know, in the emo episode, we talked about how emo rap is now a thing. and Or or was a thing until they all died of drug overdoses (laughs) in the mid-2010s. And so I don't think you'll have a Strokes rapper, but certainly there has been a few songs a few big hits recently that have copied their chord progression, apathetic, distorted voice, and I'll play a couple examples. The first is a song by Clara called Sophia. sound like you feel like that's familiar at all you know what i love that song and i'm ashamed to say that it didn't occur to me until just now that the reason i love it i never connected it's like oh yeah room on fire (laughs) my mind is blown i feel so stupid that i never connected that i'm just hearing the stroke sound being like fuck yeah We got a massive hit recently, which I think is very much influenced by the strokes. I've had some people disagree with me, but listen to this clip. That's just come down machine. Yeah. <laughs> Who is that? That's Harry Styles, your oh, shame person. On me. <laughs> yeah, your favorite yeah, gay man, crazy. Harry Styles. <laughs> like, does he have a denim jacket over that dress? Because that is the most stroke-sounding thing. <laughs> Holy cow. Also, I just want to mention this little echo in the culture. People love to say, like, "Oh, actually, like my favorite band had a new album that came out last year, and it's actually as good as their old stuff." I've seen so many Killers fans be like, uh, "Have you heard the man? It's like it's right out of Hot Fuzz," and you're listening to it you're like no you're a giant homer for your favorite band this sucks let let the dream die man (laughs) yeah i was gonna say the dream is over quote john lennon who never had an owl (laughs) but maybe i'm being that 
dumb person, but when I hear this song, From their 2020 album, The Adults Are Talking. I don't know. That sounds just as good to me as at least First Impressions of Earth or something. I agree. I mean, we got three homers here, but... The Void says some great stuff because ultimately it was never that cerebral. It was always on vibes. And if they can give you that, then yeah, it works. Would Do I think that that would set the world on fire and blow up every band's scene? No. The conditions aren't right. It's not the same, but like, it's good. And it's always incredible when you have a band that can put out albums for two decades and have the songs be good because it's so rare i like mgmt a lot their first album i thought was amazing but that's it for them and that happens to a ton of bands and the strokes they just were like you know we're not going to evolve we're going to keep playing our fun songs and those first three albums they come out in five years they're just putting stuff out and it, it rocks yeah we don't really have any elegant closing thoughts that's that's pretty much it parting thought parting shot really please <laughs> how the hell how the fuck did they just blatantly rip off with uh making bad decisions it's just it's a blatant ripoff dancing with myself mm. oh my billy idol it's a i don't think ripping off is that big a deal you know like jet famously ripped off iggy pop for the song that we ripped off on our fucking music <laughs> <from the thing. laughs> And when Iggy Pop was confronted about it, it was like, are you mad that Australian Nickelback ripped off your riff? And he was like, well, I ripped it off from black people in Detroit. So you know what? <laughs> We're just paying it forward. I think you just have to rip off the right person who's maybe not going to sue you or something. Because yeah. yeah, so not Tom Petty, who is Petty by name, Petty by nature. <laughs> no, he sued the Red Hot Chili Peppers for Danny California. And that, like another <laughs> shitty song. <laughs> the worst song <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we rip off Comptown and Chapo Bits to put them on YouTube because we know that they don't believe in property rights and intellectual property. And so maybe that's the key to stealing from someone. You're like, yeah. oh, this person's too cool to ever take me to court. Yeah, find a commie. Yeah, yeah. precisely. Find a good DSA member and rip them off. <laughs> <laughs> I have joined the DSA. I give them my $15 monthly contribution. It's foreign election interference. And they sent me a card. That's a red card. This is Benjamin, my last name, socialist organizer on the card. Yeah, Ben got the cards that when he was on dates, he could take out his credit card to pay. And they'd be like, oops, my DSA <laughs> yeah. card is falling out of my wallet. Like, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, it's just, sorry. what is that saying again? I always for forget dinner. what it says on it. Does it say socialist organizer? <laughs> I <laughs> you should go on dates bring that card and then when you go to pay just take that out and be like oh whoops this is all i have like a classic socialist i can't afford to pay for your dinner <laughs> and then see if if she'll pay socialism is when can't pay for cocktail date <laughs> <laughs> sorry i just gave all of my money to blm so just to close out here the strokes they're great and i think that if there are children out there who end up getting into 2000s music i feel like this is the most likely target for 2000s nostalgia rock uh, maybe pop punk but it's the most accessible it's the most fun it seems to be the one that you'd actually want to be in a good mood drinking a 40 walking around new york yeah i feel like there is this renaissance of the shitty pop punk i see it on social media but it's probably because i'm mostly millennials on my social media but blink 
182, they just got the original lineup back together after all these years apart. But I feel implicitly everyone knows this is a guilty pleasure. This is bad. This music is bad. Dude, I was ashamed to listen. I was ashamed to listen to Blink-182 in third grade. <laughs> yeah. You know, like people don't realize younger generation, you know, punch down. They don't realize emo was never cool. It was always bad. Like the strokes <laughs> were cool. If you revive that, it will be cool again. Yeah. Emo music. I feel like Black Parade is a great song. I love it. You know, if I hear those two piano keys, I'll lose it. But there's so much cultural context needed to enjoy that. Whereas this doesn't need that. No, this just rocks. Go listen to it. It rocks in a vacuum. <laughs> yes. It's tough to do something and not have critique to just be like sycophantic for an entire 90 minutes or whatever. But the strokes merit it. I can't yeah, really. We, we promise. We'll, we'll never do it again. We promise. We'll never just say something's good for two hours. But this, you have to give us a pass on this one. <laughs> The only critique that I can really have is their parents were rich and it's not very intelligent music, but the lack of intelligence in the music is why it's so good. Also, you know what in, I mean? Like, intelligence is the worst stat, okay? I've read Flowers for Algernon. It's about how it's much better to be stupid and happy than smart and sad. Yeah, there's no. I have no critique for this band. Keep making music and I will keep buying it with my DSA card. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. If you joined us, thank you for listening. As I always say, like, subscribe, write a comment on the YouTube, and we will read it. Try and roast us. Try and hurt our feelings. Yeah, disagree with us. Disagree with Martin, especially. <laughs> Make me cry. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, The I think the meanest comment we ever got was on our emo music episode, where they just said, yeah, American millennials are fucking embarrassing. Stop talking That was a me. British man. There was a British man getting mad at emo music in general. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, yeah, British people, I can see why emo music doesn't appeal to you because it's it's about talking about your feelings you know you gave us adele shut the fuck up <laughs> you brought adele into this world i don't think it can be overstated how bad almost all music from that first decade of the 21st century was mm -hmm. and it's the same over there too absolute crap except for like arctic monkey yeah i like that they sing with the best british accent i uh, i will die on the hill that the the best accent from that stupid fucking turf island <laughs> fog breather ass place is the manchester accent heard most prominently in when the sun goes down mm. so maybe we can <laughs> we should have that <laughs> we should go out on we that we should go out on that we're gonna play a I different gotta band you. i gotta correct you on that one uh arctic monkeys sheffield oh yeah well martin thank you so much for joining us this has been a blast all right yeah let's cool. uh thank you for joining us ciao later <laughs> <laughs> in the castle bike is fine oh, yeah